to be sharing this morning about moving from Saturday to Easter Sunday, to Resurrection Sunday. Friday night we had a Good Friday service and we focused on really the cross, the horrors of the cross, and yet in the midst of all of that blood and gore and horror and pain, there's a scripture that I shared on Friday evening that catches your attention, I hope, in Isaiah 53. In Isaiah 53, for those that may not know, Isaiah prophesied all these things about the Messiah, all the things that he was going to accomplish, and what it was going to take for him, taking our sins upon him. You know, the Word of God says all of our iniquities were placed on him. And it tells us in Isaiah 53 the suffering that he's going to endure. And then you get to verse 10. And verse 10 starts this way. And it pleased the Father to crush him. It pleased the Father to crush his son. And when you hear those words and read those words, your first thought is, how can that possibly be? What kind of father could do that to his son and and be pleased with that? Well, I hope we understand the reality of that statement is this. There wasn't one thing that was done to Jesus. The abuse, the shame, the mocking, the crown of thorns put on his head till blood's running down his face, the beating that he took with that whip with lamb's bone on the ends ripping away his flesh, being taken to the cross and nailed to the cross in his hands and feet. Not one of those things pleased the Father. What pleased the Father was what Jesus was accomplishing on the cross. That's what pleased Him. He knew. He knew what Jesus was going to accomplish by removing sin. Being that perfect sacrifice for sin. Providing a way for us to experience what we call salvation or being born again or we might just say making it possible for us to have fellowship and intimacy with the Father. All through Christ. That's what pleased Him. Not the whore. God does not want to pour His wrath out on anyone. That's not His desire. But His justice demands sin be dealt with. And Jesus dealt with us for all who believe and accept Him. And I asked the crowd that night to maybe take some time on Saturday to focus on Saturday. What would Saturday have been like for the disciples? Now, when I say disciples, most of us think of the 12, or now there was the 11. But the disciples would include the ladies that were traveling with Jesus and other men and women that were traveling and coming and were believers. They were all disciples. But my focus here is on the disciples as we normally think. Them and the ladies that were with them. Mary Magdalene, Mary, mother of James, Salome, Joanna, What was it like on Saturday? Imagine. Maybe we can imagine. And I I prepared this message over a week ago. And the, sorry, the opening has a greater reality to me today. And uh, because of tomorrow, I will be standing at a grave beside a casket of my dad alongside my family. When you stand alongside 
the casket of a loved one or alongside the grave of a loved one. The reality for that deceased person is that they're dead. Life as we understand it and know it here on earth is over. It's done. We can stand there and recall the memories, thank God, the good memories, the good times, or maybe we remember the difficult things, but that loved one walked through with us in our life journey. We can stand there and remember all those things. I'm not ignoring you, Mom. I just can't look at you. (laughs) We can remember those things. And if we know they're a Christian, we can even realize and remember and understand that one day we will be reunited with them in heaven. And we have all of that hope. But you know what? Even as I stand there knowing all that and understanding all that and believing all that, it hurts. There's pain. There's sorrow. There's grief when we stand alongside the casket or the grave of a loved one. I think most of us have experienced that. That's where the disciples were at on Saturday morning. That's where the disciples were at. The man that they had followed for almost three years, most of them, was dead. They had given up most everything in their life to follow Him. They had pinned all their hopes and their dreams upon Him as the Messiah as they understood it. The one who was coming to bring them freedom and deliverance and set them free, but they didn't really understand. That pain and grief that they were experiencing, the despair, the confusion, all normal, all normal. Be understood for what it is. Good Friday commemorates the crucifixion. This morning, praise God, commemorates the resurrection. But if Saturday commemorated anything, it was that place of despair and hopelessness, confusion, just wondering what's next, what's now, what do we do? The disciples, as we read in Scripture, basically were hiding away behind a locked door, afraid of the religious people who had just crucified their leader. They were wallowing in their circumstance. Their circumstance. They couldn't see beyond their circumstance. We can all get there. We can all get stuck there. The disciples were stuck in Saturday. Friday had been horrible, and now the unknown was almost worse. And for us so often, that Saturday experience Jesus appeared to them to be totally defeated. He was dead. All of the things that they were hoping for was dead and laying in a tomb on a cold slab of rock. What were they to do? Behind closed doors. Death in their mind was absolute. There was nobody in that room waiting for Sunday morning. Nobody in that room was waiting for the resurrection. They were locked into this Saturday mindset of despair that we can all fall into. The disciples either didn't trust 
And I, I don't think that's the case at all, what Jesus had told them. I believe they just didn't understand. You know, in the Gospel of Mark, we're going to look at three verses <clears throat> from three different chapters in Mark. And this is Jesus talking to his disciples. And when we look at these verses, looking backwards, we're like, how much clearer could it get? But to them, they missed it. In Mark chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Seems kind of clear, even to me. One chapter later in Mark chapter 9, they had left where they were at, heading back to Jerusalem, and it says they left that place and they passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they didn't understand. They didn't understand what he meant, and they were afraid to ask him what they meant. One of the most surprising things to me is somehow or other Peter kept his mouth shut. I mean, how could you have not have said, Lord, I don't get it. What are you talking about? But it says they were afraid, afraid to even ask the question. And then we go one chapter further in Mark, chapter 10. <clears throat> and look at how specific Jesus gets. He says, we're going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles or the Romans who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, kill him. And three days later, he will rise from the dead. What did all this mean? They're in the upper room. They're hiding. Here was Jesus, the man they'd follow, the one who was declared to be a prophet, prophet who was mighty in word. Nobody had heard teaching like he had taught. Mighty indeed, no one had seen cripples get up and walk. They'd never seen leopards cleansed. They'd never seen dead people brought back to life by the word of a man. They'd never seen that. This is this, and now he's dead because the religious leaders had killed him. Can you imagine how unclear everything must have seemed at that moment? They had thought they understood the mission. They thought they had understood why Jesus had came. They thought they understood why they'd left family and jobs and followed him. They thought they understood, and all of a sudden, what in the world has this been all about? What do these last three years mean? What was our mission? Was it all for nothing? Was it totally wasted? When I go back home, what's going to be there? Let's just go home. Total confusion. We don't have a clue what the past was all about. We don't even know what we're supposed to do today in the present, and I have no idea what the future is going to bring. We'd bet everything on this man. And he's dead. Crucified. No one was expecting the resurrection. The women, the ladies, in Mark chapter 16. It says this, when the Sabbath was over, when Saturday was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, 
bought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the tomb, from the entrance of the tomb? They weren't expecting a resurrection. A lot of the disciples were probably like the two guys we read about, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Many of us remember the story. They're walking back from Jerusalem to their home in Emmaus. And they're talking about everything that took place. And they were so confused, just like everybody else, what had happened. And Jesus comes alongside them and walks with them, and they didn't even know who he was. They were so trapped in their circumstances, trapped in their grief and their despair, their disappointment, their disillusionment. And I think this is where we too often get stuck, just like they were. When we're going through real difficulties in our life, challenges in our life, losses in our life, we go through these things and and all of these thoughts start to weigh us down. We start carrying all these burdens that we shouldn't carry. And we get stuck in our grief, if it's grief, or our despair, or our frustration, our sadness. We start all, all of a sudden, we lose hope. We give up. No one cares. No one knows. What was me, basically? And we're trapped. And the things around us that are trapping us, they're real. But they're just the circumstances of the moment. And we get trapped just like this. It's a Saturday thing, a Saturday trap that the disciples were in. We, can, we should be able to relate to where they were. My focus now is going to shift from the Saturday to Sunday morning. And I want us to try to see what it is that snapped them out of Saturday and brought them into Sunday morning. What is it that took them from this place of total despair to all of a sudden hope? The promises come flooding back to their mind of all the things that Jesus had really said. All of a sudden, their world changes completely. What did it? There's something that's always been interesting to me in this whole crucifixion story. Maybe some of you it stuck out too also. It seems like the religious leaders remembered what Jesus said better than his disciples. The religious leaders who had killed him went to the governors, the, the, the government, the leaders of the government, and said, hey, when he was alive, this guy made some ridiculous claims about on the third day he was going to raise again from the dead. The religious leaders remembered him saying that. They didn't believe it. But they said, we don't want his disciples going and somehow stealing his body out of that tomb and then proclaiming that he was raised from the dead. And boy, oh boy, do we have problems then. You're going to have problems. You you need to seal the tomb. So they said, whatever you need to do, do it. So they sealed the tomb. That big rock in front of it. Posting a guard. The next morning, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, tells us Salome and Johanna were with them, these four ladies. And they got to the tomb. And the tomb, they got there and the stone was rolled away. It was rolled away. They didn't understand why was it rolled away because they weren't expecting a resurrection. 
They had come to prepare a body for burial because they couldn't do it on Passover. And then when they, Mary is looking into the tomb, well, let me read a scripture. In uh, John chapter 20. The disciples had ran to the tomb. They went back to their home. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been. One at the head and another at the foot so where his feet would have been. Seeing two angels in an empty tomb didn't bring revelation to her. It didn't change where she was at emotionally or spiritually. We'll see in the next verses. The, the angel speaks to him and says, Woman, very generic. I think that's significant. Woman, why are you here? And she responds, They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. She's talking to two angels. And she's still locked into the Saturday morning mindset, the Saturday mindset. She couldn't begin to comprehend none of these teachings that they'd all heard that the Pharisees remember. None of those things came rushing back to her yet. Where have you put him? At this she turned around. Now this amazes me. If I'm standing there talking to angels, I'm probably not going to turn my back on them. I'm going to stand and talk to them as long as they'll listen. And she says he turned away from them. Turned away from the angels. And she saw Jesus standing there. Only thing is, she didn't recognize him as Jesus. And he says to her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she says to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go get him. She's been talking to angels. The tomb is empty. She turns and sees Jesus and thinks he's the gardener. And he's even talking to her, but he's calling her woman. The light still didn't come on. Sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you put him and I will go get him. And then Jesus says to her, Mary. Mary. He spoke her name. She turned toward him and she cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, teacher. Instant recognition at the name, her name being spoken by her Lord and Savior. Notice, she referred to him even in his death as Lord. No one else was calling him Lord. Everybody else was wondering, what were we doing following this guy? We don't understand. She's still referring to, where have you put my Lord? And he says her name, Mary. And instantly, things change. And it's so striking to me, an empty tomb didn't take away her grief, her sorrow, or her disappointment. Talking to two angels didn't take away her grief, her despair, or her disappointment. But at the speaking of her name, everything changed. Everything. Her Saturday mindset's gone and it's Sunday morning in her life. 
Jesus had to die. Scripture says that so many different places. He had to die. It doesn't say it specifically that way. It says he must rise again. Well, the problem with that promise is, I mean, if somebody comes to you and says, hey, I guess this is the deal. It's going to be a bad day on Friday. You're going to die. Good news is you're going to rise again. Well, the problem with rising again is you've got to die, right? To experience the new birth, the rising again, you've got to die. And the Word of God was clear that you had to die. In Luke chapter 24, again, Jesus is speaking. And here he is speaking to those two men I referred to earlier, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And he's been listening to them chatter back and forth about all that's been going on in Jerusalem. <clears throat> they were so dis- despondent and confused, they just they said, let's go home. So they're walking home. And Jesus joins them and he says, How foolish you guys are. How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the way through the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. That the Messiah was going to come, and he had to die. His blood had to be shed. And in John chapter 20, John writes these words. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, referring to John, went inside and he saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Because he has rose from the dead. You know, when Jesus was on the cross, he spoke those words. It is finished. What was finished was the mission, the mission that he had been sent on to be the sacrificial lamb for our sins. Even though it was finished, it's like a new beginning for us. It's a new beginning. When we are trapped in that Saturday mindset, whatever it is that's going on in our lives, whatever is holding us down, whatever is stealing our joy, stealing our peace, stealing our hope, whatever it is, We need to get a picture in our mind of Jesus, not as a gardener, but as a personal, personal Savior who called Mary by name. And the Bible tells us clearly, he's the good shepherd. His sheep know his name, and he knows his sheep. He knows your name. And because of the resurrection, we have a personal Savior that loves us so much that he did die for us. But he rose again that we might have new life, that we can have hope and joy and peace in spite of the circumstances around us that would scream anything but those things. He knows your name. He knows my name. For us as Christians, we come and celebrate Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. And we should. It is worth celebrating. But guess what? Every day for a Christian should be Easter Sunday. Every day should be Resurrection Sunday. Every day. Every day we should awaken and know that we have a personal Savior who is not dead. He was risen from the dead. He ascended to heaven. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father. And he's interceding for you and me meaning he knows everything we're going through. And if we will just take the time in the midst of that Saturday mindset, that Saturday trap, to quiet ourselves and listen, you're going to hear your name. 
and you'll go from that Saturday snare to resurrection morning. I'd like to have the worship team come forward. We're going to sing a song, but we're also going to receive communion together. I hope you all picked up the elements. And you do not have to be a member of our church. I may not have said that when we started, but you don't have to be a member of our church. It's not about what church you belong to. It's about who you belong to. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are part of the family of God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, whether you like me or not. So we can come together at the table as brothers and sisters in Christ because of the work that he accomplished for us. On Friday, those that were here, we received communion, looking forward to what was going to happen on the cross. Today, we look back at what did take place on the cross. In 1 Corinthians 11, where it talks about that Last Supper, it says to also not only just remember, but to do so with an expectation, declaring the truth, the hope that we have in Christ, and receiving and expecting him to return. So if you'll stand with me, if you are able, if, you're, if you want to stay seated, that's just fine. That's just fine. Jesus, on that last night with his disciples, in the upper room as they finished their Passover meal, he took a piece of bread and he broke it. And he spoke those words to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. Looking back, we see what that meant, what he had to go through for us. The abuse and the pain and suffering he took on his physical body. And he says, when you take of this bread, I want you to eat it. I want you to remember. Remember what took place for you and me. Let's eat of the bread together. And as he took the cup, this would have been a new thing to the disciples. They understood that for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, animals were being slaughtered and their blood was being shed to cover sin. And now Jesus is telling them, this cup is a symbol of my blood that's going to be given and shed for you. And we understand now it was given and shed for the forgiveness, the remission of our sin. That as far as the east is from the west, our sin has been removed from us for all that know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So he told his disciples, take of this cup, and when you drink of it, remember my blood, the new covenant that is in my blood that will be given and shed for you. Let's drink of the cup together. drank of the cup and eaten of the, the bread, we understand the victory that was won, that we stand here not with Good Friday sadness or even confusion of Saturday. We stand here with 
the excitement, the joy, and the hope that we have of resurrection morning. And Jesus did his work, and now it's up to his disciples. Now it's up to us. We need to receive what he did for us. Make him our personal Lord and Savior by our confession of sin and accepting what he did for us. That he died in our place. That's the first step. And the next step is we're now called to go into all the world, making disciples in his name. This is a newer song, so you may not know the words. If not, just listen and enjoy it.